Welcome to Rage Against the Mainstream, your full spectrum source for all things music, insight, and opinion. Today's date is February 7th, 2022. My name is Bill, and I'm joined here today with the one and only Michael. Hello, everyone. <laughs> Welcome back. Have uh, have you been? Uh, anything new and interesting? <clears throat> you know the rap sheet. This isn't your first time anymore. New and interesting. I I discovered a new weather term. Okay. Bombogenesis. That almost sounds fake. I know, but it's all everybody's been talking about with the snowstorm. It's when a, a, a low pressure system goes off the coast and it intensifies and the pressure drops more than so many millibars in 24, 24 hours. They say that the storm has gone through a bombogenesis. And I'm like, hey, <clears throat> that's the new term I learned. That's so that, that's going to be the name of the next Genesis tribute band I'm in. Bombo, Bombo Genesis. That's a that's good. That's clever. <laughs> but that's the term. I, it's, hey, I that's, that's weird. That's weird. Yep, that's what it's called. It's it's I don't know. But I wonder what like the theory or the science is behind it. Where like how they came up with that name? Well, they say it's because the, the storm bombs out, and it turns into a hurricane. So. Bomb oh, Genesis into a turn. I don't know. Just <laughs> <laughs> the weather, weather people. They have nothing better to do. Anyone uh, <laughs> listening that just so happens to be a meteorologist uh, and you want to weigh in on this, you know where to find us on our uh, social media platforms and our email. <laughs> um, my new and interesting for this week is I read that Ozzy Osbourne's going to have his own biopic finally. Oh. Um, Jack Osbourne's production company is doing it, but it's under so like it's under such heavy wraps that no one knows anything about it. Wow. There's not an A-lister that's gonna play Ozzy. They're picking a total unknown to do him. And it's gonna be between nineteen seventy or nineteen sixty six or seventy six to nineteen ninety six. So basically mm-hmm. until like the Osbournes. Yes. Right. <clears throat> okay. Um they also said or Sharon and Ozzy did an interview and they said it's not gonna be like Bohemian Rhapsody or Rocket Man. It's going to be an adult movie for adults. Okay. They're not going to. Well, yeah, the language they use. Is, oh, my God. Uh, <laughs> it's funny, yeah. like, how he's even allowed on, like, A&E now. Like, you think yeah, about how yeah. it was back in the, in the early 2000s on the yeah. Osbournes. <laughs> but, yeah, I, I thought that was really cool. I mean, the because we all know about the, you know, discrepancies and the the not accurate the non-accuracy of bohemian rhapsody and rocket man yes right and yeah yeah they're both not even really what happened exactly Mm -hmm. and they said they want to do one that's 100 percent truthful to the actual story Mm -hmm. and i mean anyone that doesn't know the story or the legend or folklore that's something to definitely check out yeah go read his wikipedia there's a lot of folklore that isn't true yeah (laughs) About, you know, Ozzy and things. So, you know, biting the head off a bat, things like that. And Yeah. <laughs> so, Sa- sacrificing chickens. Oh, no, that was Alice Cooper, wasn't it? One of them was sacrificing animals on stage. Yeah, that's either one or both. <laughs> it, it was interchangeable. That's hilarious. <laughs> um. So, yeah, I mean, they're still, I mean, like I said, they're close under wraps. So no one really knows what's really going on. But... 
the fact they went on a press junket to talk about it means that it's most likely happening. Mm-hmm. I mean, and if anyone knows Sharon Osbourne, if she says something, it's happening. Yeah. <laughs> and and Jack, too. Jack. Oh, yeah. He's got, you know. And it's funny, too, because he, he's, like, come out of, like, his own. Like, he's no longer, like, Ozzy Osbourne's son. He's no, Jack no. Osbourne filmmaker, TV personality. Yeah. And, like, his dad's, like, his sidekick type deal now. Yeah. He's got, Jack's got multiple shows on multiple networks. Yeah. From Ghost Hunting, you know, Portals to Hell. Mm-hmm. Um, World Detour. And uh, and then the, the one, uh, he's trying to make their parents believe. Oh, yeah. He shows all the scenes. And Ozzy and Sharon say, it's, uh, no, that's uh, it's swamp gas. Yeah. That's all Ozzy says all the time. <laughs> that's not a UFO. It's swamp gas. <laughs> It's a funny show to watch, but, but, uh, no, he, yeah, he's doing so many things on his own that he's his own thing. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you think of like, I mean, even Kelly Osborne now, she's like kind of out of the spotlight with the whole Ozzy thing. She's dating a member of Slipknot now, which I think is a little crazy, but yep, she's doing our, you know, the fashion thing, mm-hmm. everything. So yeah. Yeah. It's <coughs> wild. But, um, I guess let's get into our, uh, uh, on this day in music history for, February 7th. I'll let you start off with this one, Michael. You might okay. be more of a fan of Stephen Stills than I am. 1979, Stephen Stills records the first major label album using all digital equipment. But it's never released, which means that Ry Cooter's Bop Till You Drop will get the honor. I have seen Stephen Stills I've seen Crosby, Stills, and Nash multiple times. And um, God, I don't know how many times. Maybe 10 times live. Really? And um, they're all a bunch of jerks. <laughs> Did you see them with Neil Young or without? No, without Neil Young. Without Neil Young. They all are just pompous asses. Yeah. On stage, off stage. It's just, I don't know why, but that's just the way they, the way they act. I mean, I've, I've watched them do things on stage and they, they just, they're playing a soft song and so, and somebody in the audience yells, yeah, and they put their guitars down and walk off stage. I saw it right in front of me. I'm like, people are just enjoying this. And yeah. This, but they really have big egos and I'm sure something little was wrong. I mean, I don't know the story, but Steven didn't like it and so it's never released. That's you know, insane. It's, <clears throat> that's, what, that's what I've seen in person. And they yeah. probably got caught up in the Sony Fire archives, so the yeah, Sony gone. archives fire. So yeah, they, they'll never ever see the light of day. That's crazy. Um, moving one year later, here ACDC appear on the top of the pops, so they perform a touch too much. Uh, it's Bon Scott's last appearance with the band as he drinks himself to death. Twelve days later, major major loss of ACDC. I mean, however, he did lay the groundwork for what would be one of the most successful albums of all time back in black. Mm-hmm. So, you know, at least he left a little something behind, but this is, that, that's kind of funny. That this was their last performance. Isn't that 1980? Isn't that the same year that, um, the who the drummer, Keith moon, Keith moon. Didn't he die that year? Of, uh, because of al- alcohol. And then he, th- um, asphyxiated on his own vomit. He threw up and they died. I think it was the same year, wasn't it? It might have been. I'm looking that up right now. Keith Moon died. 
1978. Oh, it was even sooner. Yeah, September 7th, 1978. Jeez. Yeah, they just get too caught up in it. Yeah. I mean, from all accounts that I've ever read or heard or interviews or anything, he was like a super, super partier guy. Like, like insane. I mean, there was like no control on the dude. But then again, you know, he was a front man for ACDC. Mm-hmm. You know, back before they were a complete household name that your grandmother knew. <laughs> yeah, and the, I mean, alcohol poisoning, it's hard to do. But I guess if you just keep drinking, it's going to... We have to remember, too, they were all like little guys. I think yeah. Angus Young was like five foot one, maybe. And they were all around his height. That's huh? a shame. Yep. That's a shame. Okay. Here we go, 1985. Frank Sinatra's New York, New York becomes the official anthem of New York City. The tune, which was introduced by Liza Minnelli in the movie of the same name, was a top 40 hit for Sinatra in 1977. That's crazy. Frank Sinatra, the chairman of the board. Yeah. I mean, Frank... For the 20th century, he was he's one of the top five entertainers. Yeah. And he was it for three or four decades. Yeah, exactly. And it's funny, too. Like, you think about it, like, even like, uh, like in like cartoons and stuff, you know, you have like all the Nickelodeon stuff for like the Simpsons or whatever. When they have like a crooner type like character that they make, they always base it off of Frank Sinatra. Like, he's like the quintessential Mm -hmm. like entertainer guy. Yep. Yeah, he he was the chairman of the board, and he, and he demanded respect everywhere he went, and he got it because he was the like Elvis was the king, and Frank was the chairman of the board. That's the way he yeah. was, and um, yeah, and he 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 was the last of the crooners. Yeah, and um, I mean, when New York, New York came out, it was a lot different than than Liza Minnelli's version, um, in the movie, but um. It was just a traditional Frank Sinatra arrangement. Oh, yeah. You know, with the build-up and the key change at the end and the big ending. Yep. And it's just, it was all Frank. And uh, that's why it's still popular today. Mm-hmm. Song. And that's why it's, New York uses it every New Year's Eve. Yeah. <laughs> They've dropped the ball. They play New York, New York. <laughs> and they still do it. And, uh, yeah. <clears throat> like, it's funny to have, or to be, you know, a person that has that kind of, like, uh, I don't know, like a like a like a legend about yeah. them, you know. <clears throat> it's just wild. Frank, Frank Sinatra is just like the he's just like he's the epitome of cool. Cool, yeah. <laughs> he was cool. He could he could, you know, he call chicks dames and broads and do whatever, and he can get away <laughs> with it. You know, he, he you know he'd, he'd be up on stage and he'd be up on stage in front of God, you know, how many thousand people, and he's like. Hey, what are all you people doing in my room? You know, and, all, and he just he just had it, and he had he had such great musicians around him. Oh yeah, Count Basie, Count Basie's orchestra, uh, Tommy Dorsey, and you know he just had all the greats around him. Uh, Nelson Riddle, all the people who would arrange the songs, arrange the big band songs. Yeah, I mean, it would make him sound even better, and he would make them sound even better. And he was just so smooth. And, yeah. and it's just nobody could touch him. Like his voice just had that like delivery to it. Yeah. Like it's it's something that you never see anymore. No. There, there there can only be one. That's the only one. <laughs> <laughs> only one. 
Speaking of only one and a member of CSNY, uh, 1993, Neil Young records a live set on uh, MTV's Unplugged. Fraught with trouble due to Young's displeasure over the performance of his backing band, it's still released as an album later that year. Um, I think that's kind of funny. There's another member of CSNY that didn't yeah. want something to come out, except yeah. Neil Young didn't really have a choice, it seems, because MTV was a part of it. I've seen some specials and some, um, I don't know if they were specials or biographies on things on, on Access TV and about Neil Young, and he's, he's just not very nice. Yeah. And, and uh, <laughs> he's just not a nice guy, and he's very critical yep. of his musicians, and he's very critical of everything. Well, and, speaking of him being critical, did you see the stuff going on with him on Spotify? No. I, um, I, I, I heard about it briefly. Um, so I don't know a hundred percent, so I'm just, you know, kind of ad-libbing it, but from what I was able to gather, Neil Young was not a fan of the Joe Rogan podcast. Uh, he had someone on there that was spreading misinformation about, you know, COVID-19 or whatever. And Neil Young gave Spotify an ultimatum, either him or me. As you can probably guess, they chose their $100 million investment, uh, Joe Rogan, and they told uh, Neil Young basically to beat it. Yeah. Or, well, he pulled his stuff off, but, you know, the Spotify wasn't going to make that kind of decision. I'm sorry. Uh, Joe Rogan probably brings in way more revenue to Spotify than Neil Young yeah. and his entire catalog and probably anything he's been a part of. I mean, who? Um, David Crosby, when... When Eddie Van Halen died. Yeah, I remember that. David Crosby's like, mm, yeah, he was okay. Like, what? <laughs> and he was serious. Yeah, he was dead serious. Like, then cancel culture came after his ass, and he was just like, oh, well, you know, like, I, I didn't really listen to the music. And yeah. it was just like. Yeah, so. <laughs> yeah, that was that's what it was like when, again, that's what it was like when I saw them live. Yeah. I could see that in them. Them just walking off the stage or being very, like, we're above you. And, yeah, you know, what we say goes. And, and so. It's just crazy. And, <laughs> they, like, those two instances we just talked about, like, it's, it's very clear. Yeah. I mean, you know, no one could take anything away from them or anything, anything huge, they've done or accomplished. Huge careers. Yes. Um, you know, during the Woodstock days and, and being at Woodstock and the folk music and, mm-hmm. and the harmonies. And they just made great, great music. Yeah. But, but as, as they've gotten older, they've seemed to have really put themselves away, pushed themselves away from everybody. Yeah. And I don't know. But the whole the whole Neil Young thing with Spotify, I was just like, yeah. what did you think was going to happen? Like, there's yeah. no way you thought that they were going to side with you. They just literally bought Joe Rogan's podcast for $100 million. They're not going to throw it away mm-hmm. for, you know, the pennies or, you know. Whatever that Neil Young and you know Buffalo Springfield and CSMY can possibly bring into Spotify, but yeah, that that's just crazy. Um, getting into our main topic here for today, I, I really can't think of a segue to do it. Like I usually try to come up with something quick and witty, but I literally can't go from Neil Young to what we're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> um, I want to talk about some of the greatest uh, opening tracks. Of albums. Um, really no particular order or anything like that. It's just opening tracks that 
either set the tone for the album or just, you know, yeah, basically sets the tone for the album and uh, what what uh, to have you to look forward to. Um, for instance, I want to start with Eminem's Slim Shady LP. Um, it starts off with a public service announcement basically saying, you know, uh, do not try this at home. Don't, you know, don't do what the album saying. Small children shouldn't be listening to it. It's obviously in satire, but it is after you listen to the album, you realize how serious that kind of really was. And that immediately yep. goes into my name is, and it's just so funny because, you know, you, you get that dark humor of Eminem in the beginning of that. And then it's also like a like a cautionary thing, like, okay. And then you hear it like multiple times throughout the album where it's just like, uh, what was the one thing that was said? It was like, uh, you're hiding this, uh, you're hiding my album or you're hiding my cassette like you would a bad report card or something. And it's just like, okay, this is funny. <laughs> but yeah, uh, Slim Shady LP starting off with that public service announcement. That's got to be one of my favorites, like ever. I know it's not a song, but it's an opening track. <clears throat> I have one which really was the start of this band and this kind of this genre is you know good times bad times on Led Zeppelin 1 oh yeah all of a sudden you hear this nair nair and the drums and then the double bass drum and and the riffs and the and the and Robert Plant's voice is like whoa and that started the whole thing right there that one song yeah and um that's the first song on the first album. So it just set them on their way. Yeah. It's funny because there is like, it, I guess at the point in time when you're recording your first album, you're not really thinking like, Hey, 50 years from now, people are going to yeah. like be talking about this. There's gonna be two guys in New Jersey talking about our yeah. album. <laughs> right. And, and, and it was just so groundbreaking um, for music. Oh yeah. To have that you know mega band, that super band. And um when the first album, I don't know, I wasn't that old enough to know how anticipated it was the album. They were it was highly anticipated or it just came out and blew everybody away. But um yeah, it was it was Led Zeppelin 1 just set them right on their way. Oh yeah. I mean, you know, I, I like we're going to talk about with a bunch of other stuff here. It's almost like a, like in hindsight, like after knowing all this stuff, it's like you had no idea what it was about to start. Right, right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, speaking of another debut album, I want to talk about Pearl Jam's 10. Um, mm-hmm. the, ty- the opening track for it is Once. And I remember hearing this album for the first time. And I remember hearing this song. And, you know, like it starts out like all like like goofy and weird. And then all of a sudden that riff kicks in. And it's just like perfect. And it's it sets it says the tone for what Pearl Jam is going to become like they're not. You can tell and immediately from the second that album starts that they're not like a normal grunge band. Like they're like they're not Nirvana. They're not Alice in Chains. You can tell the type of influence that they had and exactly where they were going to wind up. I mean, I'm not a fan of Pearl Jam's later work, but 10 is one of those like undeniable records, just like Nevermind and, you know, mm-hmm. all the other ones. But 10, uh, once off of 10 is 
It sets us perfect. It, it sets that mood and that tone mm-hmm. of what Pearl Jam is all about. Yeah, and you know, it's just I think what I liked about it so much was like how unpredictable of a song it was and how like like sporadic it was. Like it was just like it was everywhere. And it was just like, you know, you're hearing these riffs and then you're hearing Eddie Vedder sing and this is like well it's the second time that anyone ever heard him sing. The first time was on that song Hunger Strike. So you're hearing this voice again, but now he sounds a lot different. He's like wild and crazy and it just invokes a ton of feelings and yeah, definitely deserves a, a spot on anyone's opening track list. Yeah. That was the whole thing about Pearl Jam is uh, setting that feeling mm-hmm. and that mood. Um, that, that's what their music does. Yeah. It, it, it's, it's, it's so good that it actually creates the emotion and the emotion comes through. Yeah. That's what you can tell when, when a song is, or a band is good when they can change your emotion by listening, by listening to them. Um, I have another one which kind of started a whole, um, again, a whole new genre is um, Blitzkrieg, Blitzkrieg Bop by the Ramones. The oh, Ramones yeah. first album. <laughs> All of a sudden, you know, this, this punk, you hear these things like punk, punk, New York. Yeah. What's going on? This punk music thing up in New York. What's this punk music? <laughs> there's New York Dolls and then there's, the Ramones, and they all have the same last name. And all of a sudden, this album comes out called The Ramones. And the first song's a minute 27 long. <laughs> Let's creep up. No guitar solos, no nothing. Just the songs, a couple of choruses, a couple of songs, boom, and it's over. Yeah. <laughs> and that was the whole start of that whole punk thing. It's and, just, it's amazing. And every song was, the next song was kind of just like the first one. Two minutes long <laughs> with, you know, the drums and and rock and roll high school and then it just keeps going and going and going <laughs> and that's was that was that whole punk thing and it started with that album with the Ramones I think it did oh yeah it's just I mean you know you had a lot a lot of music coming out of New York at that point in time and then I mean I can only imagine what it was like to like not like basically like like you know like how you have like BC and AD like you would have like before the Ramones and after the Ramones mm-hmm. And, you know, it was one of those things, like, it set in motion what, uh, like, a radio single could actually be. Like, you don't need to have something that's four minutes long anymore and no. chord changes, and it doesn't need to be beautiful. It could literally be just down and dirty and gross. And, you know, it's just, it's awesome. I'm actually waiting for them to do a, a Ramones biopic. I feel like that would be really cool. Yeah. That's, that's probably going to, that would be a good story. Yeah, the whole, I mean. You heard it here first. <laughs> I mean, the whole underground thing in New York, all these little clubs and all these mm-hmm. this punk thing growing. Because, uh, you know, there was the, the disco and the pop music and all this kind of stuff going on. And this was like the anti-everything. Yeah. It was, a, you know, it was a, a way of life and this whole punk thing. And they brought it out. And and, um, and that's, that's what they did. They just brought it out. Speaking of bringing it out... Um, basically the namesake of this show uh rage against the machine their debut album opening track bomb track um if this wasn't a sure shit like we are here to destroy and to (laughs) decimate (laughs) like that that's what the epitome of bomb track Mm -hmm. is and this i mean it's funny because throughout their entire tenure all their music sounded like this. And like, there was never really any change. Like the songs maybe got a little bit more complex or, you know, they, they always retain that core, like rage against the machine thing. 
I mean, and basically they, I mean, in in a way they kind of spawned the whole new metal thing too. Like you have like the rap rock thing mm-hmm. and yeah. off, uh, what's, what, what's the, uh, Geno stakes thing, uh, off often imitated, never replicated. Yeah. 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 That that's rage against the machine. <laughs> it wasn't, um, the Goldbergs, weren't they like they heard the rage against the machine and it changed their whole thing about how they thought about music. I know you've been watching all these Goldbergs episodes. We didn't get that far okay. yet. We're still yeah. we're still in the mid to late eighties. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They they become big fans of Rage Against the Machine. Oh, that's so funny. Yeah. <laughs> Let me see. Oh, another one, a band from Boston, which was again coming out. We're we're coming away from the disco and the pop music. There was the punk, and then all of a sudden there's there was the Cars. Oh yeah, this band out of Boston. There's like. Okay, they're a little, they're more melodic, and there's solos and there's keyboards, and their first album, the first song was um, "Good Times Roll." Oh yeah, and it was like bam, and it's guitar and these syndromes, and you hear synthesizers and the voice, the voice um, was more not pretty. Yeah, you know, it and, did have good harmonies though. For oh, yeah, that. great harmonies. Yes, great production, great production. It wasn't raunchy. Uh, raw production it was just good simple music yeah and it it was that new anti flashy well overproduced you know it was that anti stuff yeah that's what they were doing and they were so simple and they built a long career from it oh yeah I I, I think me and you were talking about the cars at one point like their greatest hits it's it's yeah. literally I think their first album is essentially their greatest hits yeah and <laughs> yeah it's just it's all I it would be I wish I can go back in time like when we talk about any of these really to like feel what that was to hear that stuff for the first time. Yeah. Yeah, it was it was um I do believe the Cars was 70 <clears throat> was it 77 the first album. I just remember a friend of mine who was really into music. He had his 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 sister had moved to Boston. And they were into music and her and her, uh, his sister and her husband, they went out and they, you know, did the clubs and they saw this band, the cars. And they, they kept telling my friend, Hey, gotta you got to hear the cars. You got to hear the, <laughs> you got to hear the cars. They're totally different. And, and it was like, okay, we're waiting for the cars. Yeah. It's 1978. And I was like, also, and the album came out and it just, whoa, it went, went right over, right over the top. And um, it's a shame that half the bands are no longer with us. I yeah. think most of the, the bands are no longer with us. But um, that was just a great sounding, simple songs. And it started, again, started a whole kind of genre which led kind of into the 80s, the electronic music. Yeah. And all that kind of stuff. And the, that was the Cars. And, and, and they were definitely different. I have a couple more here. There's one when I was originally writing my list that I completely forgot about until right now. And I think it might be one of the most iconic like intro track or, um, you know, opening tracks of an album guns and roses. Welcome to the jungle off yeah. appetite for destruction. Like, like you want to talk about like a raw, yeah. like, like, you know, unadulterated, like insane, like piece of music 
Welcome to the Jungle. It, like that, that that set the tone for everything. Mm-hmm. I mean, and then I mean, it set the tone for that album. But then, yep. you know, they, I have that you, on my list also. <laughs> I have that on yes because it was just incredible. The guitar riff is like, and the scream is like, whoa, and yeah, it, it makes you listen. And that that like little intro thing there, you know, like uh, with the delay and everything. It doesn't matter who you are. The second you hear that, you know what that is. Yeah, like you know what's about to happen. And it puts and it puts you in a mood. Yeah, actually, almost every track off of Appetite for Destruction does that. Yeah. But then again, that was one of those things where they pulled in, and you can hear the influences that they had. And you know, it wasn't just like another rock band doing something. This was these guys were here to make a statement, and they were here to do something, and they did. Yeah. <laughs> and um. Another one which kind of changed music a little bit um, was wouldn't it wouldn't it be nice from uh, the Beach Boys? Oh yeah, on Pet Sounds, that was the opening track. It was kind of like the start of progressive music a little bit because they were doing weird key changes and weird stuff with sound effects, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden all these vocals in the middle was like they were playing this. Kind of Beach Boys songs, wouldn't it be nice? If we... And all of a sudden, they went into this vocal thing. It was like, where's that coming from? And then they went over here and then back here. It was the first. You didn't usually hear the Beach Boys doing this, so it was their first venture into this type of. And music. wasn't there? Well, didn't they have like stereo effects too yeah. with the voices too, like that? That's just insane. Yeah, it started out like a simple Beach Boys song, and then it went way off, and it set the tone for the whole Pet Sounds album being considered like one of the first progressive kind of rock album with having different the song go in many different places you have to watch that movie uh that love and mercy uh, the brian wilson movie okay yep and it, it it doesn't like go into detail about pet sounds but it majority of the movie happens during the recording of pet sounds and like just the mindset that he was in and the rest of the band actually at that point like he had stopped touring with them and he was strictly just the studio guy and it was you know, they come back and it's like, what is this? Yeah. And, you know, in the movie, they it probably wasn't as bad as it had seemed in the movie, but, or depicted in the movie, but they, it was like they were pissed that it sounded like that. They're like, this isn't Beach Boys. No. And Brian Wilson was basically just like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, So, I got two more. I don't know if I said that last time, but I, I got I got two more. Um, I'm going to knock this one out of the way for the biggest one that I have at the end. Um, Ozzy Osbourne's, uh, the ultimate sin. Um, this was the first album not to feature Randy Rhodes and it was the, uh, no, hold on. It was the second album not to feature Randy Rhodes, but, um, this one is the album where, uh, you know, new guitar player Jakey Lee, like really came into his own and really showed people like what what he was about and like the just the the uh, the technicality of his playing, the songwriting of the band, everything at that point. The opening track is the ultimate sin, and it's kind of like the lame duck album for Ozzy. People either love it or you hate it, and. I just think there's too many good songs on there to actually hate it. And 
you know, when you first put this album on, you hear that the opening, just, dun, 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 dun. it's just like, okay, right. This is going to be something cool. <laughs> he sets him. Does it set him apart from the Randy Rhodes error? Yeah. It's, it's a new error here. This is the new error. This is exactly. Yeah. Cause like you, you know, you think about it, you have, you know, Blizzard of Oz, Diary of a Madman. They're very similar. Then you have Bark at the Moon. And Bark at the Moon still kind of holds those original Ozzy roots a little bit. But then Ultimate Sin was like, it was like basically a polished pop album, but it had heavy guitars. And, Mm -hmm. you know, it wasn't Jakey Lee trying to be a Randy Rhodes copy. It was, I'm Jakey Lee and this is what I sound like. I mean, unfortunately, it was the last one to feature him. But I think Ozzy made out with Zach Wilde afterwards. Um. I have a, I have a, I have too many here. Um, <laughs> staying with Ozzy is also Black Sabbath, the first song from the Black Sabbath album. That is kind of maybe the first heavy metal yeah. song. <laughs> it's like here's heavy metal. <laughs> here's what we're gonna call this. This is what is this? We'll call it heavy metal, and yeah. that's and that was it. It was it was Black Sabbath you know, debut album with their debut song. And it was like, okay, here, here's Ozzy. And it's like, yeah. And um, that started that whole thing. Yeah. It's just like, like, you have to think about it too. Like you didn't have anything that sounded like that. No. Like at all. I mean, like granted you had like Led Zeppelin for that time period that was considered heavy metal too. But like that was something like on an entirely different level. That's like uh it's like having like a like a gray shirt next to a black shirt. Going, which one's darker? <laughs> right, and 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 Zeppelin was more hard rock. Yeah, you know, it wasn't really heavy metal. Mm-hmm. There was a distinction there, and um, that's what this was. And you know, like Tony Iommi with the down tuned guitars. You know, it was just it groundbreaking. Yes, and just think. Music wouldn't be the same if he didn't cut his fingertips off. It could have changed the whole trajectory of music forever if he didn't cut the tips of his fingers off. I mean, I know it's not funny because I would really hate if that happened to me, but if I was going to create a music genre afterwards, I guess I'd uh, guess I'd let that happen. <laughs> um, For my last one, I... This whole time, I tried not to do it. And then right before the show, Michael convinced me. Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. <laughs> um, I have to go with Van Halen's debut album, Van Halen, with the opening track, Running with the Devil. I mean. That's Van Halen. Yeah, exactly. Like, there's there's no there's no question. It's, it's like another Welcome to the Jungle thing. Like, yeah. you hear that, you know, the reverse <coughs> car horn and... That's it, and, and sparked the a career. And, yep, and the, the the guitar thing with the uh, on the back of the the bridge. You're telling, yeah, and it's just the solo. You're like, oh my god, yeah, and he's screaming, and everybody's doing it, and it's just three musicians, and you're like, whoa, and the harmonies, and it's, yeah, it was like here's another whole thing, new type of music. Yeah, exactly, a, a unique, and, and that's another one too in the middle of the whole disco thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It I came mean, out and just. They were, you could hear them, you heard about them, heard about the whispers from L.A. There's this band in L.A., Van Halen. They're mm-hmm. going to be coming. They're <laughs> going to be coming. 
And you're like, okay. And then they came out. I was like, whoa, they were right. It's like, <laughs> I remember getting the album and the album cover wasn't much to speak of. And then you put it on and you heard that siren. It was like, whoa, where are these guys going? And, it, and then you just want to listen to the whole album. Yeah. Because it's that it's that good. And they're still using loops and tracks and sound effects from the albums and today's songs. Yeah. And it's just one of those things like that. That first song sets the tone not only for that first album, but for the entire career. Yeah, on the band, yeah. I mean, basically up until like 1984 where they sounded nothing like that ever again. No, but, you know, Van Hagar was different, but... The, those first those first four albums, like that that song, it's just one of those things. Like if, It doesn't matter what time period it is. If no one's ever heard it before and mm-hmm. you put it on, it's immediate. Okay. It just showed what that band was capable of doing. At that point in time. And you have to think about it, too. They were only like 23, 24 years old. Yeah. That, like, yeah like they, they were young, young yep. writing that kind of music. Mm-hmm. I mean, not that it was super complicated, but it was like. It was a sound. It was like the perfect storm. Yeah, it was a sound. It was him and his brother and, you know, playing drums and guitar and him doing everything with the guitar to get all the crazy sounds that he could out of it. Mm-hmm. And um, and the drum, they're just playing together, playing together. And they got a couple other guys. And they just did the L.A. scene and made it very popular in the L.A. scene. It was like, okay, we're going to do it. Yeah. And <clears throat> the rest they is did. history. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I have a couple other ones we can go through um, kind of quickly. There's um, Barbara O'Reilly, the first song on Who's Next. Oh, yeah. Sets, you know, the, the synthesizer that sets the tone for that album. Mm-hmm. That because it's got won't get fooled again and all that's on that album and oh yeah all, but but Bab O'Reilly's the first one on that um we will rock you we are the champions Queen yeah Queen was always big into the anthem songs they always wanted the I mean we saw it in the movie but yeah they they like the audience to participate mm-hmm. so they wrote those songs for that album as audience participation songs <laughs> and um it, it started the album off um. And what can you say? Highway to Hell, ACDC from Highway to Hell. That's I mean, one of those start. Yeah, it's it's iconic. It's yeah. it's another one of those songs where it doesn't matter who you are, how old you are, mm-hmm. you hear it, you know what it is, and it puts you in the mood. Yeah, as soon as you hear it, like yeah, rock, it's rock and roll. <laughs> you turn the radio up as soon as you hear it, first yeah. lick. <laughs> uh, you know, it's uh, <clears throat> and I mean, Billy Joel. Who t- I've seen Billy Joel God knows how many times and during um, his show he has one of his road crew guys and I can't think of the name it's a one word name big guy it's, he's on his crew and he says okay we're going to change things up and Billy Joel puts the guitar on we're going to have this, one of our road crew guys come out here and he's going to sing a song for you and the guitar goes, nah, nah, nah. everybody in the crowd just <laughs> jumps up on their feet and he starts singing and they go through and they play Highway to Hell. That's fine. And the crowd is screaming and, and jumping up and down on the, on the <laughs> chairs. And you're and at the end of the song, every time at the end of the song is, Billy, Billy Joel's like, man, why don't you guys like my stuff like that? Because <laughs> they, don't, they don't do any of that. For, it's just, that's. The song that's, that's so funny. ACDC creates that emotion in people, and, and it's not like you know. I'm not saying like Billy Joel fans aren't necessarily ACDC fans, but if you're there for a Billy Joel show, you're probably not expecting to hear 
ACDC in any way, shape, or form. Hey, I don't know how you can not be an ACDC fan. It's just yeah. it's just rock and roll. Yep. You know, it's just it was in the Iron Man movies made it even more popular again. Oh yeah. You know, it was, Iron Man too. Really, the, I mean, if if they had lost any kind of like, like uh, I don't want to say credibility because that's not the right momentum. Word. Yeah, Iron Man brought it all back. Yep, it was made and made. It really made that second that Iron Man two movie mm-hmm. was the soundtrack. Yeah, yeah actually, AC/DC. if I yeah if I remember correctly, I believe ACDC even released a music video for "Shoot to Thrill" mm-hmm. with the uh, footage from Iron Man. Yep. Yeah. Another generation of rock music fans. There's still hope. <laughs> a couple, couple other ones. Do you have any more? No, I'm I'm wiped out. Um, there's "Don't Stop Believing" by Journey. Yeah, it's the first song um, on the on the Escape album. It, it was just an anthem, another anthem song that's still played today. To at, 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 you know, at every function they played it at New Year's Eve. Yeah, you can play it at any <laughs> function. You can play it. Yep. Uh, you can play it at a at a wedding. You can play it at a funeral. You can play it New Year's Eve. You can play it, you know. Um, Tom Sawyer. Oh yeah. Moving pictures. First, you hear that first bass drum pedal, <laughs> and the drum riff, which every drummer's tried to play. Yeah. Every drummer's tried to play this, and the you know, and Neil said I can barely play it, and uh, <laughs> all the way to the most iconic drum solo of all time. Yeah. And that set the whole. Rush, here we are. We're, we're going to the next level. Yeah. We're going to the next level. Here it is. Mm-hmm. We're bringing in synthesizers with the, and heavier and more. It was such got, an important album. Yeah. It was, I want to say more popular, but it was more pop oriented. Mm-hmm. There was more singles on that album. And so that kind of put them to the next level. Um, Boston, their first album, More Than a Feeling, where the guitar is fading in. Yeah. And then you hear the production that's going on and you realize this guy was doing was putting this album together for more than two years. Yeah. And you hear why, because it just it took I think it took recording quality up to another level. Yeah, especially album. for this point in time that it had come out. Yeah. Like it was probably the most clear the most clear like picture you could like in like that particular point in time. Because he was he was a graduate of MIT, Tom Scholl. Mm-hmm. And um he was trying to get it perfect. And he did it over and over and over, and it came, and you could tell. It took recording quality to a whole nother level. Absolutely. And it was their debut album. Um, a couple off-the-wall ones. Watcher of the Skies from Foxtrot from Genesis. He starts out with the, the Mellotron chords, and you hear the sound. You're like, oh, my God, what is this? And then the whole Peter Gabriel thing and the bat wings and all this <laughs> thing, and it just grabs you. And... Um, if you guys haven't caught on yet, Michael's a Genesis fan. <laughs> and there's a song we were listening to before we started, uh, 21st Century Schizoid Man, which was the first song on the King Crimson debut album, which is kind of defines King Crimson. It's just weird, but you got to listen because the musicianship is so good and they're going so many different places. They're playing heavy then all of a sudden they go into like jazz and then they come out then there's a saxophone solo then there's a heavy guitar solo and they're doing all these things and it's true progressive rock mm-hmm. and um king crimson that was the first song on that album that was um wasn't court of the crimson king which wasn't the first song it was 21st century schizoid man um 
here's t- something totally different. What's going on, Marvin Gaye? Oh, yeah. <laughs> that was the first song on, on, on that album, and it was like, set, talk about setting a mood. He's like, this is me. This is what I do. This is, yeah. we're setting a mood with this song, and it's like, whoa, this, this, is, <laughs> this, is, this is good stuff. Um, uh, the Beatles would come together, first oh, song yeah. on Abbey Road. You know, you listen to that, and it just, and then you have to keep listening. Yeah, and then you listen. You have to listen to the whole thing and the whole the whole album from there. And um, that's all I got to hear. There's, <laughs> there's another hundred in my head, but that's all I wrote down. But there's a lot of albums. I mean, they don't. You don't know. They do they do that anymore when they when they create. They, I don't even know if they're called albums anymore. If today's music when they come out with and they drop songs or whatever, drop a song or what they don't, they don't look at an album, look at it. We call them albums as a, a group of songs. And the order was so important. Yeah. The order of the songs is so important. And then on these ones, that's what it was. The order of the songs was so important. Exactly. No, I mean, you couldn't have started up. Let's up on one with, uh, Days and uh, days, what was it? Um, yeah, days and confused. You couldn't have started with that. No. You, need, you needed to start with that song, <laughs> with the cowbell and yep. the, and the double bass, you know, the, the quick bass drum and the singing, and the, you had to start with that song. Yeah, uh, you know, and just like don't stop believing when that on the Escape album, you started with that song because it built and it pulled you in. Yeah, and it doesn't really matter anymore what songs you hear and what order what people and people put things together. Well, it all depends what you hear on TikTok or what's yeah. you know what, what's popular on TikTok this week. Yeah, right. <laughs> but all these, everything we're talking about is meant. It's there for a reason. Yeah, that first song on that album is there for a reason. It's yeah. to bring you in, create the emotion, and keep you. And it's just not there nowadays. Well, the thing is too that I feel. Well, I mean, it's not really how I feel. It's it's really it's it is how it is. The attention span of people just isn't there anymore. Like people aren't people are all about having the satisfaction or satisfaction satisfaction immediately, right? And Instant gratification, exactly. And what's next? What's next? Exactly. Yeah. Okay, I heard that song. What's next? Yeah. So I mean, they're doing the singles <laughs> route, and I mean, like, yeah, I guess it makes a quick buck, but you're not gonna have the lifelong fans. You no, know, no. It, it's just it, it's it's. That's why we're it still sucks. talking about these songs 50 years later. Exactly. Some of, some of them even more because the time went in. It's like, okay, here's our group of songs. This is the order they need to be to get people to listen and get that emotion going through the whole album. So they'll listen to the whole thing. Absolutely. <clears throat> most of these most of these albums don't have a wasted song on them. No. No, absolutely not. And that's that's to me, that's what music's about. Mm-hmm. is grabbing somebody with getting them that emotion and creating that emotion and keeping them. Exactly. Yeah. So what do you think? Was there any that we didn't bring up? Is there ones that we're completely off about? Um, is the ultimate sin just a complete shit of an album? <laughs> um, find us on our social media accounts facebook.com slash RATM podcast Instagram and Twitter at RATM podcast or if those characters aren't enough you can write us an email RATM podcast at gmail.com but until then let's get into our suggestions for this week um, 
my suggestion for this week, actually, this is something that uh, I found from my wife, Nicole. Um, she's real big in, or was real big into pop punk. And as we all know, it's something that I was too scared to venture into in high school and middle school because I figured it would make me super not super metal. <laughs> so I missed out on, I mean, I'm, I'm glad I was able to listen to all this stuff now, but I'm mad that I didn't catch on to it when it would actually was taking off. Um, the band's called every Avenue. The album's called Just Go With It, and the song is called Think Of You Later. It just has it has such like a good like melody in the chorus. It's, it, it immediately catches you, and the vocals are incredible. I mean, it's just like a generic pop punk song, but the vocals and the melody just like make it. And plus, I've said it before, I'm a production whore, and I think the production is amazing. <laughs> so what do you have, Michael? Um... I know I haven't been on the show here for a little bit, but since the last time I was here, the um, documentary series came out, The Beatles Get Back. Um, it's a long documentary. It's a lot of parts. There's a lot of, It's a lot to sit through, but it really shows what The Beatles were all about and how they wrote music, how they sat around. And it's a doc, when they say it's a documentary about a documentary. Okay. What, and... Um, you just watch how they they came into this this room. They sat down in this little semicircle. Ringo's sitting there playing little drums, and everybody has an acoustic guitar. It didn't matter if it was out of tune, or they had an old Rickenbacker guitar with a little tiny amp. They didn't have all these super duper pedals, yeah, and all this. They're not looking for their perfect sound, you know. Paul's just playing this bass, you know. They're out of tune. They're just they're just trying to. Hey, I got an idea for the song. Let's play this, and they're like, "Oh, yeah, that sounds pretty good." Here, let's add this. Let's add this chord here, okay? And we'll and then we'll come back. We'll do a verse, and and then then like an hour later, they have this song, and it's immortal. It's an immortal <laughs> song, and they and they and they write these songs, and it's like, wow. Get back. You listen to the song. Get back, and it's like, that's how they wrote it. It wasn't coming. They didn't come in and hand out. Here's the here's the song I wrote, and this is how you're going to play it. They wrote it together. Yeah, and it's just a lost art. And um, it was just watching one part of the one part of the series, the show. One, one of them is um, Ringo has this idea for the song Octopus's Garden, and he sits down at the piano. And he says, "I have an idea for the songs." Dun 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 dun. dun. Dun, 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 and he's like, I don't know where to go. And then George Harrison walks over. Here, why don't you play this chord? And then play this chord. And he does and goes, Hey, that works. Okay, good. And I'm playing. Okay. And then and then for the bridge, go up here. And then and then we go, okay, and then I can do this. And then, and like an hour later they have this whole song. And it's and it's like this immortal song that you hear. Yeah. And it's and then they end the they end the whole thing with, of course, the big, the big concert on the rooftop, hmm. and how the police are down on the street trying to stop it or trying to break and figure out which house it is to go up and stop it, <laughs> and they have the people walking by, like not realizing this is history. Yeah, like what are they up there doing that for? They got to stop. They're creating a ruckus and everything, and then, but then there's people. There's some people that are like, wow, it's the Beatles. This is incredible. They realize what's happening. Yeah, but most people don't realize what's happening at that moment. This. <laughs> Rooftop concerts—the last time, basically, they played yeah. together like that—and uh, 
if it's a long documentary, there's a lot of parts, um, but it really shows what how they did it. That's awesome. And it's all like archival footage, right? It's all about this one section, this one thing they were putting together for this show, this concert thing. It yeah. was all about writing the music and getting it all together. Okay. And um, it was just, yeah, it's just incredible. I, I think, I know other, my other, the band, other, my fellow musicians, we talked a lot, you know, when we're setting up or tearing down. There's a lot of discussion that goes on about music. And uh, we talked a lot about, we talk about the Beatles and we always say, well, the Beatles are getting lost in history. Today's generation doesn't, you know, they're not going to remember the Beatles. The next generation, the Beatles are going to be so far back, they're going to start being forgotten. Yeah. Things like this bring them back out. Yep. So young people can look at this and look at how music was, how it was written, how it was put together on a four, in a four-track studio. Yeah. You know, and Ringo just playing away on the drums. And they brought the family in, the little kids are in there running around. You know, and, and it's just like this family atmosphere. And then there's testy at times, of course. Yeah. You know, George quits at one point and, come, you know, comes back. And it's it's basically what the Beatles were all about. Yeah. And um, how special it was. And um, so hopefully this keeps the Beatles alive. And, you know, I, I was recently was watching a um, little off subject of this, but. Uh, the band Sticks, they did a version of I Am the Walrus. Okay. Um, not too long, not, not too many years ago. And they did the recording on one of their albums. Um, some some songs of summer or something, they did like a special little thing. And then they did it live with this youth orchestra. And it was like great to see because here's this youth orchestra hmm. playing the Beatles behind sticks and they're all yelling, you know, the, I am the egg man. Woo, and they're all screaming and they're all yelling. They're all doing all the parts. It's like, it's great. Got to keep the young people realize the yeah. roots of the music and what it was and where it all came from. Mm-hmm. And so things like this, keep it alive. That's why I think it's important. I got to sit down and watch it. I mean, I know you've been telling me for weeks now I got to watch it's it, long. but I, I definitely have. I to. didn't watch every minute of it. I, you know, there's, there's a lot of parts that, are long yeah and some parts get boring but then you look at the thing as a whole and you're going like wow so that was special yeah and um yeah especially the last couple episodes when they get ready for the the concert on the roof and it's it's really special it really is um but that's got to keep it alive yep and this is a good way of doing it this is a great job peter jackson did a great job See, he does more than just action movies in Lord of the Rings. Yes. <laughs> and right. Yoko wasn't as annoying as everybody says she was. Really? Yeah. Everybody thinks Yoko was the reason the, the Beatles broke up and all this stuff. But she was just there hanging out. They probably just got jealous or something. Yeah, she was just there hanging out. Yeah. You know, and, and you know, George, George Martin, the whole thing, it's just, it's just amazing. Yeah, I got to sit down and watch this. I really do. But on that note, this is another episode of Rage Against the Mainstream podcast for the books. For the books. Um, make sure you keep tuning in. There's only three more episodes left this season. Um, there's a lot more in store. 
I don't know. I guess I was like trying to the sales pitch to keep everyone listening and like forget <laughs> the fact that we haven't been consistent with our uploads. Um, <laughs> um, if you like, you can follow us on our social media accounts, facebook.com slash RTM podcast, Instagram and Twitter at RTM podcast, YouTube search rage against the mainstream podcast. And of course, one day we're going to have a, a mailing list or something like that. Uh, RTM podcast at gmail.com. But until then, there's another episode of Rage Against the Mainstream Podcast. As always, I'm Bill. Yes, and I am Michael. Thanks for listening. Have a good night, guys.